Um, it's my great pleasure uh, here on Mumbling Planet to introduce the legendary string improviser, LaDonna Smith. Welcome to Mumbling Planet. Hey, thank you. It's nice to be here, James. It's great to have you here. Um, I have, I'm on I have, a green planet today, by the way. You're on a green planet today. Yeah, I'm on a green planet. Oh, yeah? Yeah. It's green and blue. As and... you see, you're wearing blue. I'm, I'm wearing green, and I'm oh. looking out the window at entirely uh, a green array of bushes, you know, so. Well, that's nice. It's I should have had the same idea. I, I, should, I have this big uh, styrofoam board covering my view of my own window, so I can't see outside. I'm in a black box. <laughs> so you can, you, can look, you can look at the green for me. All the better for the back of your eyeballs. Well, down here in uh, Alabama, you know, we're not in the new york scene anymore than right you are. so we we do it our own way you know we sort of meet in uh like grain towers and stuff you know <laughs> maybe right. out back you know where they're yeah. for metal you know, I'm, stuff like that i'm so that. interested to hear about like how like like the kind of stuff that you were doing in the 70s and 80s with with uh with fresh dirt and you know and like i i have so many questions about like your you know what? I, 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 here's what I did. I, as, as I was listening, so I spent half the day yesterday, yesterday listening to your music <laughs> and just like writing stuff down and like thinking about what I was going to. And so I, I just like go through and then maybe we we'll spark conversations and we'll see where it goes. Okay, sure. Okay, sure. So, so I started off by listening to Channeling the Gateway, which I thought was absolutely beautiful. Yeah, um, that's the last piece I've done, you know, that actually uh, made it to a CD. You called it a you know, piece. I'm I'm interested uh, in that. Your well, your relationship with the really word composer. Piece. Yeah, right. What's what do you, yeah. what's your relationship with the idea of the composer well, as opposed to the improviser, a, you know? It's a relationship <laughs> with a musician is what it is. Um and the the relationship with with free improvisation. study in school. I, I have my master's degree in, in theory and composition okay. from the University of Alabama, and I was um, finishing that up when I met Davy Williams. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting, um, I, I was a child pianist, and I'm still a pianist at, at heart. That's my, my main and favorite instrument. Oh, really? Yes, it is. Um, I got into, uh, like you, I got into orchestra strings and all that stuff late, like at 21. Okay. Um, I, I started uh, viola lessons. I had about three years of uh, formal viola, and I was meeting Davey, and the good thing about that was um, he said, well, let's let's play sometime. Well, he well, actually, I'll tell you, we met, you know, Anne LeBaron, who's quite a esteemed American woman composer. Actually, she's known around the world, uh, was a, a friend of ours, and uh -huh. she... 
invited us to go to a local county fair which had like cows and pigs and dung and stuff you know and it was just really a localized like thing just uh, and it was kind of a i think it was a zamora thing uh and it was just out in the outskirts of tuscaloosa and um so i said sure yeah i'll go with you well she picked me up in her big uh oh i don't know it was uh, some kind of like tail finned pontiac or something like this just really an old dilapidated car which i still have a a, a from which uh, dave you'd like to go out and shoot holes in it you know so it's got a lot of split holes in it but um she picked us up in that gold car and um and sure enough there was about six people already in it so i had to sit in the lap of somebody i didn't even know and we went out there <laughs> we're stuffed in this car and then we had to stand in line and get tickets and it just seemed like a ridiculous situation but like a county fair uh-huh so anyway there was a ferris wheel so uh she paired me and davy up to ride on the ferris wheel together so we wound up riding on this ferris wheel he was the weirdest strange looking guy i ever saw and uh, and so all of a sudden we were at the top of the ferris wheel and uh it stopped and we were stuck up there on the very tip top of the ferris wheel and we had to talk to each other and so in in doing that um he found out that i was in composition and he was in a blues band and a soul band and um he said well i, w I want to write scores uh can you help me write scores and i said well yeah sure and so we had a meeting we came down off the ferris wheel that's how we met was on a ferris wheel mm. which is an interesting um object to meet somebody who changes your life <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's quite that's quite the uh the romantic image you know <laughs> yeah so we started getting together he said come down to my apartment turns out he lived about a, a half a block away down in uh you know some kind of like upstairs apartment you know student style kind of like dilapidated uh -huh. old building um i went up the stairs and i walked in and this uh this racket was playing like i had never heard before <laughs> And it turned out to be Peter Brooksman's machine gun. And so uh, I um, just took it in stride, and that's what Davey played every time I visited. That would be going on. It would be a machine gun. So anyway, we were looking at graphic scores. <laughs> and sure. He had already written some of them and had some ideas, you know, for these various things. So that's, that's our relationship. Uh, is I was going to help him with composition but it turned out he said let's play and i said okay what do you uh, what do you want to do what do you mean he says oh no let's just play uh and i said well where he says well somewhere on the university where you get in a room so i said oh yeah i can get in a room so we got in a room and uh -huh. i took the viola and there was a piano it was the jazz ensemble room and he brought this electric guitar and um and we played and it just worked and i was like um really amazed and open that well you don't have to write stuff down this is working and from that I mean, it was just like uh you know a sudden realization it's like you need a head you don't need to write down any ideas you can just play with someone and we just had a compatibility that was like none other so you know that started our entire relationship and we got to where we were playing like 
two, three, four times a week, you know, meeting in the Jazz and Dynamo room. And then later, uh, he introduced me to the Redellinus group, which had already been, uh, it was a community group. All the, Several of the people in it had gone to Tuscaloosa High School. They were high school buddies and stuff. And they were just blowing free, like jam free for an hour, just blowing your brains out kind of people. Sort of like the machine gun record, you know. I think they were, they had found and discovered that. And um, so that was sort of the modus operandus, you know, uh, of that group. What Davey and I were doing was a bit more compositional and uh, in the in in the way that it presented itself, even though it wasn't composition. Would would would, would you? Uh, so, you know, it's funny you talk about composition, but I guess when you're playing with somebody else and you just develop that relationship, like maybe memory has something to do with it. Maybe if you're, if you develop a language, and you remember things about the language, you know, and then you start having conversations about the same thing, and you kind of walk back through, you know, the things that you know, you know, maybe that's well, partially compositional. That's the pitfall, you know, that's the pitfall of it all. And uh, Davy would tell you that too. Um, oh, like it gets to stale? remember. You try not <laughs> to remember. You try not right. to play your favorite riffs. You know, you try uh-huh. not to emulate somebody else's style you know or some other thing so what you do it's not novelty for the sake of for the the sake of novelty though right like because that's a problem no it has nothing to do with novelty it has to do with stream uh streaming and uh like not thinking like absolutely not uh thinking and not necessarily now i'm not saying that's what what i do now but in the beginning uh, that was the whole construct, okay. which is to not try to dip into known things. And I guess I that's say, the, the tide of surrealism, right? Is the automaticity thing? Yeah, it had to do with that. Uh, totally. And it's just like starting in. But the thing is, you know, your brain is going to organize. Right. And so when you're hearing a sound, it's like the first sound is first note. To me, I wanted a, a, a clear beginning. I wanted uh, action happening, some climax. I wanted because when I'm just getting back to where memory uh, exists, uh-huh. because of the standards of good composition, because that's what I was studying. Uh, Davy kind of wanted that too, like a good book. You know, you don't want to just sure. ramble. Right. And so right. that was what we were trying to point out when we started out trans uh, was to not ramble, not to have a so-called jam session, you know, that went on for hours, you know, that uh, uh-huh. had no structure. And, you know, we, we wanted to um, create a music that actually um, existed like 
a gem or a piece of art or something, something that, you know, had structure, but it was automatically done through, um, you know, through um, a kind of a, a conscious or unconscious uh, way, you know? Interesting. Yeah, I guess that's the question. Like, how does structure it was emerge like, without any forethought? Yeah, it's a, a, the to uh, develop subconscious, you know, ability to I don't know, manifest. You know, what is the experience that, that was like? good? You know, like, how does it feel um, when it's when it's when it's arising? <laughs> Like, well, you can just tell when you're clicking, you know. We can tell. Does it feel like it's outside or inside? Um, it's it's inside. Yeah. I feel like yeah. I feel like a lot of times you don't even know what you when you get through with it. You know, it's like psychic automatism. Right. So I was going to say because there's go. another person too, right? So like, because to a certain uh -huh. extent, you're allowing the outside too. So I guess it's hard to tell between outside or inside because the thing just sort of emerges between the participants or whatever right well you're absorbing the sound of the other person and that's a very important part of really good free improvisation is to absorb what's going on around you and not just be doing your own your own willy-nilly you know R right so right, right. as you absorb what's what you're hearing then your response to it is automatic and your response to is somewhat um um I would say, um, well, I can't think of a word for it, but um, yeah, it has to do with your your own aesthetic in a way your response to it's going to be aesthetically mm. uh managed you know just by your own right you know who you are and your you prejudice know, you know and, and that brings you me to another question i i i was I, another thing that i was going to ask you which this brings us to i think is how do you practice like if you're if your main outlet is improvisation and these uh the idea is to not reuse cliches my practice by its nature, um, well, at least certain kinds of practice, maybe not your kind of practice, I don't know, but practice often involves repetition, you know, of, of you know, technical things that you that you have to master. And, I mean, and, you know, listening through your recordings, you're, you're clearly, you know, uh, have a technical mastery, <laughs> you know, of, yeah. of your well, instrument. I, but, I definitely like uh, work to, to master my instrument to the extent that I can. Uh, you know, I'm not going to go and play the Mendelssohn concerto, I don't have time for it. And sure. I don't have an interest in it. And it's a way too uh, intense uh, in terms of there's different, um, there's different, de different definitions of practice. And for me, it's not about practicing technical skill uh, in improvisation per se. You practice that outside of improvisation. So you master your instrument. Um, but I'm not going to go to the level of, you know, learning or memorizing uh you know a mendelssohn concerto i mean screw it you know that's just way too sure. too much use of my time that i don't i don't i cannot do, possibly do it in my lifetime but the uh pra the practice of practice 
is um, it's more like yoga. I mean, you practice. That's what you do. You know, I mean, it's like fishing. If somebody is really, really good at it, they go out and they fish a lot. You know, I have a friend that catches huge, uh, huge catfish and all kinds of stripers and stuff. And that's his practice. It is fishing. And so, in a way, um, fishing is, is a very broad term now. You know, it's used in the computer world. And uh, it's, it's used in, you know, just regular old, you know, fishing in the waters, you know, for catch. And that's kind of what we do in free improvisation when you, you extend a note or a sound and someone else extends another one, then you are fishing for some kind of connection. Uh, <laughs> you know, I was going to say that I noticed like some one of the one of the things that I, I notice you do sometimes is you do a, you'll do a pretty wide kind of vibrato sometimes that kind of like explores around. And it's a part of me feels like you're waiting for for something to latch on. <laughs> You know, like, uh, you know, it, it, it works as vibrato, you know, but like there's a there's like a probability um, that like it, it allows for something unexpected to happen tonally, you know, that you can latch on to and then go from there. I mean, that's I don't know true. if that's on purpose. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if it's on purpose either. <laughs> it, it just makes me... You know, but you ex you explore that in between space and between notes so well. I mean, like I, I would you know channeling the spirit, but on some of these other ones too. You know, like I noticed that, um, you know, uh, I I can I can tell that your ears don't spend all their time in equal temperament. <laughs> no, no. In fact, I really enjoy <laughs> you know I mean? Indian Indian music. Is one of my oh favorites. yeah, I could hear it all over the place. Yeah. I could tell that you had definitely listened to Indian music. Yeah, you know? <laughs> there's so much nuance, you know, and I like that really. A lot. Yeah, absolutely. Well, which brings me back to practice. I mean, I guess it's like this idea that so so it's not like you spend your time necessarily like, well, and I, this is a question, like practicing within a certain tradition. It's mostly like uh, like a like a sort of an inner exploration, like a, a contemplative yogic practice where you're sort of exploring your own intuitions about sound. Yeah, while that you're... would be session. That would not be practice. That would be session. Um, okay. When you have a session with somebody like practice, I do practice. Um, and like you, I'm an, a music educator. So, you know, I have taught a lot of violin and, and I teach violin techniques and uh, as I, as I uh, understand them and uh, in many, many different styles. So uh, I have uh, adult students and, and uh, children's students at the moment, both piano and violin. And I have one adult that's from Louisiana, and, and we do Cajun styles with her, okay. and another one from uh, Ukraine. And we've been um, working on lots of, well, we started out on classical music. She's very uh, advanced, you know, and mature musically. And so... But then now we've been doing Eastern European music, so there's all kinds of uh -huh. style. And then I had Indian students, and so I had at least uh, eight or nine year run, you know, like doing some Indian stuff. Some of my students have done Mexican. I mean, all of them have actually, because I like to just really chew up any kind of music I haven't heard before, and that's sure. what I like to listen to. I don't want to listen to something that I already know. I want to listen to stuff I hadn't heard before. So um, I I develop technique by playing all kinds of styles in music but when it comes to doing improvisation and creating my own music then i okay. want to be i want my mind to be off of that and into session which is uh getting in the zone
gotcha. you know, getting in the mind frame of the zone of listening and responding, you know, in a kind of free and improvised way. It's something you do. It's like fishing, you know, uh, or a yoga practice. It's something that makes you healthy. You know, the practice of eating healthy is one thing. You know, it's, it's more like that kind of practice rather than practicing to achieve, uh, you know, uh, a, a work, you know, that someone has written or something like that, you know, or achieve mastery on your instrument, you know, where you're doing rudiments and that kind of practice, you know. Maybe they're related, right. you know, on some level. Of course they are. To get yeah. in the zone, to get in the head, the head frame, and also as a listener, you have to have uh, educated listeners to really appreciate uh, the kind of music that we do. That's true. That's you fair. Because there are a lot of people who just really don't get it, and because they haven't practiced it, they don't understand it. You know. Yeah, I guess it's the you know the idea of a, a, a virtuoso listener. You know. Oh yeah. Saying you know. Well, you know these jazz cats. They they're virtuoso listeners all over the place. You know about jazz. Mm-hmm. And Leland, who I played with, you know, uh, the drum, the drummer uh, the, of the recording engine, um, he he knows all jazz cats and all their work and all this kind of stuff. And we, I don't, you know. Sure. I, I just I just don't, you know. <laughs> and so it's right. really nice. It's really great to play uh, with somebody who has a different background. Yeah. Because we all have our prejudicial backgrounds you know of how we're trained yeah you know but you put it together yeah, i think somehow. that is one of the interesting things about about improvised music i think as a phenomenon is that it brings together people of different musical traditions you know yeah yeah I said, I said, I love how the old time fiddle shows up in the most unexpected contexts. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, I've had a, I've had a number of students who were like fiddle, uh, fiddle uh, masters. Actually, one of them was recorded on a Smithsonian record. I learned more from her. I think. Well, actually, I taught her violin, but uh, I learned a lot more about fiddle from her and her uncle. And he used to be uh-huh. uh, like uh, a three fingered violinist. Well, I said fiddler, okay. I should say. He was a three-fingered fiddler who worked for the Grand Ole Opry, you know, and judged all these fiddle contests. And uh, uh, my student, Sabrina, she was hot. And she was just a young thing, you know. She'd go win, she'd go win those contests, you know. <laughs> it was great. It was great. And, yeah, we had a whole fiddle, fiddle, a lot of fiddle music, you know, in the context of learning to play the violin. It's a lot of fun. I love uh, yeah. delving into other styles. Lots Absolutely. of diversity. So, yeah, yeah it'll, you, it'll you, slink in. You know, that's part of your language, you know. Once you learn a language, then, you know, that sort of stuff does slink in, you know, kind of like collage elements, you know, in the music sense. Sure, and just like the juxtaposition, you know, you kind of notice there are connections there that you might not have realized before once you, like, kind of, um, you know, uh, tap dancing in between them. 
That's <laughs> you know true. I mean? That's true. And that, that yeah. little that little bend that this that this bluegrass thing did is not so different from this little bend they do in raga. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> or whatever you know. <laughs> I tell I tell my friend that blues is microtonal music. You know. <laughs> It can be. <laughs> People don't realize yeah, it, you know. Especially if you play it on an out-of-tune guitar. And by the way, I love out-of-tune instruments, and I do play a lot of music on out-of-tune instruments. I deliberately oh just my gosh. tune them out. You it know? Was that, yeah, yeah, yeah. That um, that solo, uh, it was that other, what was the name of that record? I, was Rising the other, Tulips. Was the other ones on? Yeah, Rising the, Tulips. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, I know that some of like the initial notes of some of those drones and loops, you know, was... Uh, you know, you call, call it out of tune if you want a different tuning. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Another way to think about it because, like, because alternative you know, you, you tunings. To, yeah, exactly right. You know, and then you start to really draw out like what the interest of those ratios are. You know, and little things that are in between there. You know, it's the kind of thing that you know, I, as as someone who's been into microtonal music a bit, I find just like really great. <laughs> you know, you listen to some Harry Parch and stuff like that, and you're like, oh, that's I'm she's playing Parch <laughs> style. <laughs> you know, harmonies here. <laughs> that's fantastic. Yeah, I'm fascinated by that as well, you know, and especially with string instruments, it's so easily done, you know. say okay i need a new idea the best thing to do is just detune the string and go on you know Uh uh-huh it's easy it's 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 a it's a really easy way to just totally change the entire dynamic you know is to detune the string because then you have to deal with it whatever it is it's like i was recently somewhere and they somebody was begging me oh you got to play the violin for so and so you got to do it you got to do it so they had this really really low um, quality instrument to start with and it didn't even have a string on it. One of the strings was gone. And so I said, well, that's no problem. I just kind of tuned it up, you know, just, I should say, tuned it down to just some kind of like weird, ridiculous something that actually had nothing to do with standard tuning and um, and, and played an improv and it's totally doable, you know. Absolutely. Yeah, and the harmonics that come out of detuned strings are just entirely different from the ones that come out in standard pitch. And the colors are different. It gives you a whole new palette. I was gonna say it's it kinda like kinda like the um you know, in some of these in some of these surrealist games, you know, where you know, you're put into um a situation where the normal ways of communicating are intentionally subverted and you have to kind of work with what's there you know yeah exactly and you know to to that point davy was one of the first uh, in the united states uh to use object guitar you know as is as, as a type of theater of guitar and um he was he became a real really well known for his object guitar and actually wrote some thesis on it you know uh, about uh, a methodology you know uh, his mockingbird Tell me methods. object guitar what what is that object guitar i haven't heard of that oh well he um he used a number of objects you know like he he had a stuff, oh, like like prepared guitar stuff mouse and okay. toothbrush and all that you know and um 
Right. Just, uh, you know, a cream whipper. And uh, he had uh, uh, wind-up dinosaurs, and he had a battleship, like a model battleship. And he would play with stuff like that, you know. And actually, that would be the way he would create so many of his marvelous sounds, you know. One-of-a-kind sounds, Uh one-of-a-kind look. You know, he had this uh, tape measure that he would whip out, you know, in a concert and just flail it around, you know, and <laughs> um, and and that was awesome. He had this huge long metal um, angle iron that he used on the guitar. He would use two or three guitars together, and uh, way back in the seventies, you know, and. Um, so his his uh, devotion to surrealism, you know, was uh, was extreme, and he really theorized quite a bit in music and surrealism. He was a very articulate writer, and at the same time a very um, dynamic performer, you know, us- using the ideas of, of the object itself, you know, as, as a stimulant, you know, for for his strings and and uh, um, to create the music that he. He did, you know, on and it's it's pretty outstanding. And so, you know, since then, a lot of people are using objects, and and that's um that's become a thing, actually, you know. But um, yeah, I've seen it. Yeah, it's it's happened quite a bit. You know, a lot of people do use objects now. And I, as the straight person in the duo, I uh, kind of experimented a little with objects at first, and but then I decided, nah, I'm not going to do this. I'm going to use the bow. And the bow is going to be it. And I'm going to create just the strangest um, sounds that I can possibly um, invent or discover uh, just using the bow is, is kind of oh, there's a, a, lot you can do with a, bow. a point. Yeah, of course there is. And mm-hmm. I found that I could, there was nothing that an object would do that I couldn't do with a bow. Because the bow, you know, <laughs> is married to the instrument to start with, you know. And um, so that's. That was kind of, you know, our black and white, you know, balance. We, Davy, Davy studied profusely, I should say, surrealism. And much more than I did, and uh, I, I became a part of it, kind of as a, as a result of uh, his his study and his knowledge, and then his commitment, you know, to create in a surrealistic manner as opposed to Dadaistic, you know, which that was more like the Rodellinist group, you know, like creating, you know, anarchistic, you know, racket and noise and you know, in your face kind of stuff. A surrealist sure. approach would be a more um, poignant, you know, more focused in a way. And um, the, as far as I understand, the history of the rift with music in uh, early surrealism and Breton and stuff, you know, they're just uh, some of the composers were somewhat um, accepted, I would think. Uh, uh, like Satie, no, Pierre Henri, right? you know, uh, in the early electronic music, you know, I'm not sure exactly what they're um, that. I mean, to me, I would think that would 
that would have lent itself to um, surrealist acceptance, but I'm not. Sh- I'm not sure that deserves you know study. But yeah, I, they like Satie. I mean, Satie kind of um, hung out with him in the bars, you know, in the coffee bars, and was right. around. I mean, you know, these uh, surrealists create friendship circles, and then you get on a mode. I mean, the Glassville group is our early group. Fresh Dirt is our later group. Uh, our earlier group, uh, Glassville, we would meet. It would be like a practice to meet, you know, at least once, twice, three times a week, you know, and create <laughs> together, create drawings, create um, uh, writing works, you know, uh, create arguments and discussions and all that kind of stuff. And so that's sort of in in the um, in the mode of of what we think or what I think that the cafe, you know, meetings were about, you know, among the realists, the early surrealist poets and the writers and the theorists, because we had Mitchell Cashin and Davy Williams and they were both incredibly deep theorists and they would argue about uh, things, you know, and at the same time, uh, Mitchell was a painter and uh, Davy was a writer and and a musician, you know, who was, trying to create a theory of surrealism in music, you know, because of, of that past history. Now, to me, Sati doesn't sound surrealist to me. I mean, I love Sati. Right. I just as soon play uh, Debussy or Sati or, you know, and sure. any number of other composers. I mean, maybe something like Vexations or something. Yeah, maybe, I mean, you know. I like the fact that, yeah, he, he, uh, got, he dismissed the bar lines, you know. And... Uh, <laughs> And then also just had kind of impressionistic um, directions, you know, in some of the music, kind of like, okay, go ahead. And just, I mean, in a way, it was a little bit like a, a forerunner of free improvisation in a sense, like, you know, a little lighter, you know, a little, you know, these kind of like very conscious kind of directions, not really, you know. So you could kind of get away with playing Satyani. Any uh, tempo, you know, you can speed up or you can slow down, you know. It wasn't. You said that Davy Williams rich. theorized a lot on, on, uh, on surrealism and music. Is there yeah. a, a, a place where we could find some of those writings? Yeah, Maybe you know, he, we published really... the Improviser for um, thirty uh, years. In the Improviser, and uh, okay. he's got several like manifestos on you know music and surrealism uh, that have been published in this and also. Um, the Spiritless Group in um, Sweden has published some of his work, and then also he's had uh, work published in Paris um, on the Discourse magazine. And uh, so, yeah, there's it's out there, and I should send it to you. I'm just kind of like looking through here so I can find something. But um, awesome, a lot of stuff to read. It is good stuff. I mean, it's really, really, really good. Stuff. And then this magazine, we were asking for articles, you know, about improvisation. So we get articles like "Sounding Off" and "Within Reach" and you know, reviews of new music and particularly the impro- improvised type. So it's oh, here's one: "Sound is round, and so is music." And so somebody is like Doug Carroll here. <laughs> Some notes on sonosphericity and improvisation. And so he's talked about sound waves and um, the paradox of being focused and detached at the same time. 
you know. Oh yeah, there's the good stuff. And uh, detachment results <laughs> in a meditative state while focus is on the sound. You know, I mean, all these, there's lots of theory in uh-huh. improviser. Oh yeah, I gotta read that. Yeah, and this is the issue number eleven from 1996. Yeah, the possibilities inside resides in the realm of yin. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just like picking out. Um, you know, <laughs> statements That's here. Great. It says, this frees the mind to act directly on the sound perception without going through undue cognitive processing. <laughs> it, feels, it feels like simultaneously that it's like completely out of control but it's also like extremely articulate and frenzied mm. <laughs> like it's you know what i mean like it's it's it feels like uh, uh it's a good question how does it feel because you know what i mean right <laughs> Yeah, there are a lot of different feelings that go on. Uh, you you get a sense of feeling when you're playing. Sometimes you realize you're really onto a, an area. There's an area of sound. It could be like uncontrolled harmonics that you have just you have hit upon, and that you would not necessarily be able to come back to that exactly by will. Uh-huh. You might hit upon it again by chance, but you're not going to come back to that by will. Uh, so those are moments of flying where you got to trust the wings and the air draft and you just continue it until you feel like it has been exhausted. And then you move. It's beautiful. You just, you have to leave it, you know, at that point. Now there are other moments when, and that feels wonderful. That feels like the true essence, you know, of, of mastery of flying. But there are times when you feel like, uh, when I feel like anyway, Oh, holy shit, this is horrible. Um, that guitarist just doesn't understand the amplitude level of, of, of the viola that he's working with. And I am being like, uh, you know, like completely decimated and covered over and beat to hell and back, you know, just to try to keep up. And, and so, you know, you feel like you you have to use some kind of... Um, I don't know, uh, other type of technique, you know, to maintain your presence while you're being uh, literally, dis- your sound is being de- literally destroyed and you're being beaten up by the music. And uh, so it's not pleasant at all. And so definitely you don't feel very good about that. But uh, it gives you a kind of a determination, you know, to uh, find a way. To- oh. oh, this is Davy's brother. Oh, hang on a second. Hey, Johnny, you're on a podcast. You're on a podcast uh, with James uh, Foster here. Uh, We're talking about free improvisation, uh, some of Davey's theories. Anyway, um, we just started a Zoom meeting. Can I get back in just a a little bit? Oh, yeah, I want to hide it on the shelf. Unless you got some kind of... Uh, just call me when you can. Yeah, well, have you got anything like uh, dynamic, you know, or earthbreaking to say about the music uh, that uh, uh, happens down? Stand- I'm going to have something to say about baby. Okay. But musically, I think I'll let you guys handle that. All righty. <laughs> All right. 
What you gonna say about Davey? <laughs> I think he bailed. All right, I'll talk to you soon. <laughs> All right, radio uh, out. All right. Yeah, he's the one with the with the grain oh, silos. How does it feel? So I guess you're talking about communicating. I like vessels. the Bob Dylan thing. How does it feel? You know, when you're on your own and you know, no direction, <laughs> moan, you know, all that. But yeah, there's feeling is something, you know, and we put a lot of it into music, you know. So maybe, yeah, maybe I'll just flail around, you know, and dance, you know, or do something like that, you know. Because what else can you do? You do it until things calm down and then you find your space. And that's when you jump in, you know, so it can be somewhat strategic to play. Yeah, it's almost like there's that there's that um, almost political dimension. Oh, God, I felt so sorry for you, you know, and uh, at the underground, those guys uh, from Birmingham, they just were, uh, I don't know, I don't know what got into them. They were so sensitive in our recording session. And then all of a sudden. I think it was Jasper that started this one riff and just wouldn't let go of it. It was just wham, wham, wham. You know, it just kept going and going. Oh, you're talking about when it, when it got loud? Yeah, it was loud. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then that made Joel play. You know, I kept like, trying to escape it, too. Not the way <laughs> like, he played. I was like, I have, to, I have to keep meeting it, you know what I mean? Because it's, it's there. That's what's oh, going on. You know, you have to You like, went to moment. war. You absolutely went to war. <laughs> You're like all <laughs> over the damned place. You were all over it. It's just like, it's just like, oh my God, you know, he's, he's fighting for his life. <laughs> do, you, do you think it was too much? Because I was, oh, I, was I felt bad about it in front of you actually. and not in front of them. I was, I was, I was totally entertained by it, but um, at the same time, I could feel your pain. And so there's, there is that. There's a painful aspect to, you know. That was an electronic nightmare. It really was. I mean, if you you wanted to do underground, you know, and subliminal, you know, uh, nightmares, that was it. (laughs) But yeah. But some of the other moments were were beautiful and nuanced, I think, in that recording session. Oh, there was some nuance, definitely. I'm not going to take away from that. Yeah, there uh, there was quite a long swath of, you know, out of controlness, you know, and just repetitious. (laughs) Um, uh, what would you say? Uh, sabotage. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but no, you were the okay. victim. <laughs> but you weren't the perpetrator. You were the victim <laughs> of it. And But at the same well, time, you were like swimming like you were somebody threw you out in the ocean and you were having to swim for your life. And, you know, that was part of the drama. <laughs> Yeah, but as soon as the waters calmed uh-huh. down and the sky opened up, you were right there uh, flying like a, a bird in oh the my sky. God, yeah, and there was just Marie, you know, just you know, scratching away as if nothing else was happening. You know, <laughs> it was great. It was appropriate, you know, for the moment. It is. But, it is yeah. interesting though how like it's it's a matter of like like you there are these like. Um, 
these almost almost political, almost ethical questions that are explored during or exploited. <laughs> Yeah, you held up. Right? You held up. Uh, that would have drove me crazy. I mean, you know, I wouldn't choose to be in that environment. And I'm glad I chose not to play in that group because there was already so much going on, you know. Yeah. It was just really intense. I don't believe I could have held up. Even on an electronic instrument, uh, which I did have several there, which really didn't get explored in that particular gig, but they would have been uh, just swamped out of out of perspective and even when uh, i was working with uh and damani i was feeling that too you know there's there's got to be to yeah. me i mean i'm i'm very picky about free improvisation i want to balance i want articulation and you know movement from one zone to the next you know um I'm too old for it. I don't want to be obliterated. What's the word? Uh, in, into oblivion. Maybe that's part of it. Um, by the uh -huh. practice. You know. It's like, uh, yeah. if I want to paint, I want to get some, something that pleases me and is beautiful and uh, has its own textures and there's so much to look at, but everything is precise and wonderful i don't want to just be throwing uh, i have you know a bucket of paint thrown in me and suddenly i'm all one color you know what i mean sure i don't want that yeah I mean, if you're gonna paint on me paint me with a brush I'm ranting no, okay. now. I am in no, a rant. No, it's okay. I've, I've, I've run into that same problem, I see, you know, as a bass player, because the bass, you know, the double bass as an instrument is really quiet, yeah. naturally, <laughs> you know, and playing with jazz people or trying to play with jazz people over the years, yeah. you know, like, without an amplifier, yeah. like I always find my, you know, like tear up my finger trying to get as loud as the, so I'm like, I've, one of the reasons I finally got a, you know, got an amp is because like I got tired of competing with the saxophone well, player. Well, you know, we should, and I don't feel like we should have <laughs> you know? to compete. I mean, I, I just expect my musical partners to be better than that, you know, uh, it's, Sometimes, you know, sure. I feel like I'm fighting a nuclear war with a slingshot, you know? <laughs> when that happens, I would just as soon just get off stage and let that nuclear thing go on, you know? <laughs> and wait uh -huh. until the calm comes back, you know, because I don't know. It's just like, I, it's like a deer, you know, and, and it's suddenly you're a deer is in headlight. You just want to get off the road back you know to the green grass when all the traffic is passed you know Thank <laughs> you. 
I, I hope that's not a sign of weakness, but you know, I, I don't think so at all. No, I, I, you, know? I, I, you don't do stupid stuff. Yeah, you know, and I don't see a point right. in continuing to make noise and sound when there's already a sound palette that's so full of it that what you're doing is not helping or is not contributing, but just making it muddier. So, uh, to me, I like noise this complex, but I don't want to just contribute to muddy sound. Mm. I think the audience deserves more. Well, so, listen, listen, listening being the first step to well, like, there like we get right back to what's really important in this music, you know, and making a making it work, you know, because there are a lot of skeptics about out there on free improvisation. So, I don't want to prove to them that it's really bunch of amateur hacks i want to prove to them that you can make music through free improvisation that's just as articulate and beautiful and as uh and and reasonable and sensible as composed music that it can come from the subconscious sure. in the moment and be just as is is good and and also the other part of that is to play your own music and not somebody else's Mm -hmm. So I love that aspect of it. And so if I'm going to play my own music for someone and not somebody else's, then, you know, I'm not going to try for memorized passage work. You know, I'm not going to muddy up somebody else's sound, you know, just by trying to get in there, you know, and I might fight yeah. for, you know, survival uh, like you had to do. I would do that, you know, to a point, but after a point, you know, you go, okay, <laughs> now what? <laughs> I think maybe maybe some of it is, is in some of these musical in some of these musical worlds the the sort of um, default ambient volume is louder maybe like in some of these noise music kinds of spaces. That's kind of what was going know, on there. Or rock uh -huh. spaces. Well, yeah, and sometimes you know, the language that's... is just screaming. You know. <laughs> sure. You know. Of course, I, I kind of like some of that, that kind of music, too, you know. I mean, you know, intense, noisy stuff maybe has a place, too. Yeah, it definitely has a place, and it's it speaks loudly, you know. Um, you know, there's there's all forms of protest, and, and music is, is a major form of protest, <clears throat> and some of that, that uh -huh. noise music, you know, is a, uh, an example of that you know, form of protest. Um, and so just expression, you know, just the raw expression, I guess, you know, a lot of these guitar bands, they're just whacking away, you know? Yeah, you know, and it's it's interesting because this brings us back to the dialectic, I think, that we were getting at before, too, to a certain extent, this idea of um, composer versus um, a musician or like someone who's, who's highly trained, um, and a professional, you know, versus um, an, an amateur. But I know, it, like, even reading some of your writings that you've wrote, written about improvisation, I th you said, like, one of the good things about free improvisation is that, you know, someone who's sensitive enough, who doesn't have that much training, can jump in and contribute. That's right. You know. That's true. Or whatever. I mean, there's something, there's something there, too. But so, like, I guess the question is, like, you know, the idea of a musician or the idea of a composer or the idea of a generalist versus a specialist, broadly speaking, sort of like in our in our current cultural landscape, you know, like the problematics of specialization, <laughs> you know, yeah. in various ways, you know, the idea of surrealism saying art is for everyone kind of thing, you know, like these present um, interesting sort of 
dialectical spaces, I think, <laughs> that are bare exploring, maybe. Yeah. Well, you know, that's all in the spirit of collaboration, you know, and, and not uh, in the spirit of, uh, you know, megalomanic, um, narcissistic, uh -huh. you know, annihilation, you know, and all that. It's, it's the spirit of collaboration, you know, creating together. Where you're inclusive. Of oh, your there you partner. go. See, and it's, you said that a minute ago. The idea that surrealism, like at the quarter, you could, you know, I was talking with Stephen the other day about this, and I was saying, you know, I don't know that much about surrealism, blah blah blah, and he was saying, you know, well, maybe it's even better that you you haven't, you know, like gone too deep into that, and like your your main experience is through like living surrealism, which to a large extent is relationships, exactly. <laughs> and We're back to that. and like yes. engaging in the act of collaboration. <laughs> You know, because surrealism, like at its heart, is a collaborative, is a collaborative enterprise, right? Uh, that's that's a <laughs> you know, form of it. Yeah, that's, that's one form of it. Uh, in in terms of yeah, community. You know that uh, mm. engaging in collaboration, whether it's poetry or art or music, you know, it's, it's one way that we uh, designate ourselves as a community. You know, in, in a sense, because we have similar. Uh, openness to collaboration but then there there is the risk too of you know aesthetic diversity what person's mm -hmm. uh, aesthetic model is is maybe not another person so can we cooperate in a way where we can incorporate aesthetic diversities and uh, that's a big you know it's a big question right know. let me get back to the recording session in these war yeah, games right war, <laughs> yeah yeah first or yeah aesthetic diversity intense uh, some people are, are doing you know like computer art others are doing cut and paste you know and can we work to in in collaboration and not necessarily in that but we can definitely look over the boundaries of our own limitations you know yeah i mean the fact is i cannot turn viola up loud enough to manage you know what an electric guitar can do you know that's that's impossible and it's not uh i can't turn it up as an acoustic instrument and even as an elect if i put it through an electronics uh it would just feed back and just act ugly you know <laughs> so there's there's a limitation so uh -huh. i want to play with people who understand amplitude you know and and that's sure. a technical <laughs> deference. You know, that's just technical. Yeah. Right. See, I, I, I get on a back and forth with these things, too, because it's like at a certain point, like, on the one hand, diving really deep into, like, if some things aren't possible to accomplish without a deep technical knowledge true. right i mean oh, that's very true yeah mastery and mastery right but but then there's that but see for but here here's the problem you know maybe this is me getting into like bigger philosophical issues that you may or may not want to like sink your teeth into but like i mean you know they have that old saying like uh the last person to know everything was leibniz <laughs> <laughs> you know, like um, the the idea of a polymath or the idea of a generalist, you know, I mean, and part of surrealism is this idea of thinking across domains, you know, or not not getting stuck in one paradigm or one way of conceiving of, of knowledge or creativity or these kinds of things. But 
But the problem is, is like the the body of the body of knowledge, the body of technical information has become so vast that it's like um, at a certain point, if you want to engage with a uh, with a domain of like human activity in a meaningful way, you have to spend much more of your life learning the techniques of that thing than other things, which has opportunity costs for where you could be spending your time elsewhere, which means you become a specialist, you know, but the, the, the problem is we get siloed in these domains of specialization, you know, that leave us, uh, cut off from understanding these other things. I mean, I don't know, maybe I'm going off on a rabbit trail, but it, it feels like, um, who is we're supposed to like, like contextualize things more broadly. Like we're, we're supposed to be the ones presenting <clears throat> like, uh, the, uh, we're the, we're the myth makers, right? We're the, we're the storytellers. We're the, um, the dreamers of dreams. And that's, there's a responsibility there. I feel like to to have some grip on the big picture, right? right? But as dreamers of dreams, um, <laughs> it gives us permission, you know, to blow off a lot of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, if you're if you're in a session and you don't you're not liking it, you don't have to play. You know, you don't have sure. to play. <laughs> and see maybe this is the megalomaniac composers <laughs> thing coming out of me because like i'm thinking of all these big like you know <laughs> you know historical metaphysical questions that are supposed to be represented and you're like oh you're here in your session you can play if you want or don't if you want. like that's a much more concrete maybe oh, yeah. that's a better way of thinking of things <laughs> or you know you might you may decide you want to play in clay you know you play in clay you don't want to play you know in, in cyber techniques you know, and people still sure. play and play, and I do, as a matter of fact. You know, that's one of my my uh, my mediums of choice. You know, because it's so grounding. You know, I mean, that's that's probably a bad pun, but you know, it is grounding. You know, <laughs> you got some pictures of your uh, your sculptures up on Instagram. Uh, no, I have them on my web on uh, the Fresh Dirt website. There's some. <clears throat> You have to click on them because okay. the the photos are in landscape and the pieces are in you know portrait. <laughs> so if you if you look at the you know the ones that are up there on the fresh dash dirt dot or dot us yeah dot us, um, then you can see the sculptures. Yeah, they're interesting. They're very mm. like vegetation. Uh, animated vegetation and something like that you know a lot of them are um i i, mm -hmm. I really enjoy making them and they they kind of make themselves that's another one of those subconscious um or stream of consciousness activities unlike music it's just a different medium but it, it works like that it just you know i think in collage you know people just seeing stuff it's there they cut it out start organizing it you know subconscious kind of brings it together and then people like steven mm -hmm. and, and uh, hazel they have such an eye for collage both of them are, are really really amazing at it uh janice hathaway mm -hmm. is another person that uh she's in she's my fresh dirt partner and uh, i just think her work is amazing she 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 shoots all of her own uh photographs 
and then works on it digitally, you know, and creates her prints hmm. and they're just masterful and amazing. And uh, I couldn't, I, I don't work in that medium. I work in clay and maybe drawing something more simple, <clears throat> but surrealism can be an expression for any medium. Uh, just the concept of either collaboration or taking uh, objects or disjunct uh, concepts and ideas and, and weaving them together, you know, to create um, mm -hmm. a new tapestry, you know, of reality. Is that why you would say you do what you do? I I don't know why I do what I do, but um, I am... Um, Me either. <laughs> I think I've been down that, like you said, the rabbit hole long enough <laughs> that I can't really escape uh -huh. it anymore, you know. It's kind of a home to me, you know. Uh, yeah. I would rather be chasing that rabbit hole than, you know, engaging in... I'm not a game person, you know. I know that uh, surrealist games are great, you know. But I, I don't. I think I'm just not smart uh -huh. enough to be one of the gamers. But, um, you know, <laughs> I have to appreciate it. realities you know i mean the altered realities uh -huh. can take many forms some of those games are not that different from um like text scores you know yeah uh you know not living in atlanta and participating in y'all's games i don't know we had a game uh that we did well we 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 went through a period of doing some games we had an automatic uh writing machine and it was this round <laughs> thing like kind of like a dial what? twist you know and it would lay and it had holes in it you know we would cut up words and stick them up under there and um in random forms like just cut up books and newspapers cut up these phrases and words and stuff mostly just words and uh shuffle them underneath the the dial that had the little holes in it so we'd spin the dial uh -huh. and we'd see what the word was. And then we'd write it down and we'd get another one. We'd write it down, write it down. And we'd see what the universe was trying to tell us, you know, through that particular game. But see, that didn't take any intelligence. <laughs> you just do it, you know. And I, I like games like that. You know, that's kind of like, you <laughs> right. know, playing a, a ball game or something, you know, uh, in a sense. You know, you sure. don't think, well, now they've got strategic ball games, you know, but... I always thought football was just button heads, you know, but I, I understand it's quite strategic. <laughs> <laughs> Another game we had, we did in um, one of our publications, because, you know, realists, we like to do publications because these, these are ways to uh -huh. show our expressive work. <laughs> one of them was um, parallel texts. And so we made um, a list of words that had to be used in all five of our gr group participants five or six of us at that time yeah we had to write a an essay using those words those exact words and like one of them was tinfoil for instance so if we wrote an essay you had to use the word uh -huh. tinfoil uh, or platypus or something you know like that you know some kind of word uh-huh you know, and so, like, for instance, um, in a parallel text that we had, we had tinfoil slinks into sparks whistling into the clouds' ribs that have barbecued by the sun's smiling teeth. So that one was Dora's entry. That was her first line. And uh, then another one came out. Here's one by Glenn Engstrom. 
the tinfoil that whistles through ribs will work in a pleasant feeling that reflects the mood of support. So, you know, that goes mm-hmm. on. Then there's another one that doesn't start with tinfoil, but tinfoil will be in somewhere in the text you know, of, of it. So sure. all of the appetites, you know, <laughs> various tongues, jowls, you know, various iris. Iris was one of the words. And so these parallel writings. So it's interesting uh-huh. because it you know, the gives us a launch pad, you know, say, okay, we've got to do this. You know, okay, I wasn't planning on writing anything today, but okay, <laughs> here we are in the game. We have to write a paragraph or actually an essay. And we're sitting there all together writing our essay, using these words up. And uh, it was very interesting then to come around and then read them to each other, you know, and then uh, ultimately publish Absolutely. them, you know, in one of our, our self-done books. We don't send nothing to Lulu. We just do it or did do it when we had a group. We don't really have a group now. We sort of have a group, but we don't really have a group. No, not like um, when we had Glassfield. Oh, no. You're still doing trans music? Uh, well, the problem with trans music is um, that's, that's a project oriented thing, you know, at this point, because Davies passed away, you know, in 2020. And um, so different partners kind of appear and show up. And uh, the last couple of things that I put out on trans music was um, a couple of uh, other people's work, you know, that were doing memorials to Davey Mm. and that he had inspired them. So I don't know what the next one will be, but it'll come back up when the time comes, you know. It it began as a collaboration awesome. of, of uh, compatible, you know, improvisation, you know, improvisation that kind of holds the trans music standard. <laughs> so we'll see. We'll see. Sure. <laughs> hey, I was just thinking, we were just talking a second ago about those games. Um, and I was just thinking of the Ottawa Surrealist Group did a, a uh, in one of their publications, they put out a game that they did called Anaerobic Poetry, where they had to, uh, each person had one breath and they had to do a whole poem in just oh, one breath. Wow, what a great idea. And, um, and one of them was, it was one of the most beautiful sentences I think I've ever heard in my life. Um, <clears throat> and it, it goes like this I, I memorized it. It's. A timepiece of perpendicular pendulums replaces my candid sleeping dreams with lies of love for you. Isn't that gorgeous? Yeah. (laughs) That's absolutely beautiful. That's (laughs) that's like when we had Tom Faulkner in our group. He's also dead. I see most of our our Glassville members were passed away. Mitchell Shims passed away, Tom Faulkner, Davey Williams. So this is leaving Johnny Williams, who called on the phone a while ago, and um, uh, uh-huh. Janice Hathaway and myself and Davy's um, wife, second wife. I was the first wife. The second wife, uh, Nico Linda, and uh, she's also a very, very astute writer and artist and healer kind of person. So, you know, you have your communities. And so now our, I feel like, a, uh, in a way, more of a solo artist in a sense. But what we're trying to do with Fresh Dirt is dig up some new stuff, you know. New stuff will present itself. They keep a tradition, you know. Glassville and trans music. 
any other form that we take, you know, to enjoy and uh, you know, magnify life, you know, life in all of its, its forms. Absolutely. So that's new collaborator. So I guess um, you and I have to play some, you know, some point. See if we can uh, <laughs> weave I some guess threads. We you know, it's I had ha- I had half a mind to just to to come over to Alabama instead of doing this on Zoom today. Maybe, maybe next time. Yeah. Well, we'll have to get you on our on our X-Prov series. You know, where you yeah yeah. X-Prov. Taylor this is a new person that I'm collaborating with now, and he's awesome. I just love the way he he thinks. He's he's very. Um, Educated on free improvisation and some of the, the founders and masters of free improvisation around the world in the United States. And then he's also mined uh, the, um, the fields of the southeastern free improvisation. So uh, he's bringing, he's brought to the East Village Arts of Birmingham the, a series called uh, Exprov. And so, yeah, you should definitely be on that mm. and uh, come and play. I need to. I need to listen. To oh, more. I need to listen. I don't have time to listen to stuff. I just, re- I just really don't. And you know, I teach <laughs> I know, a lot right? of music, and, and I do play a lot of music. And so, when I have my free time, I, I just would like to hear big silence all the time. And uh, I'm like real big on listening to stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so we, Davey and I, had a collection. We must have 1,500, you know, albums. And between his and mine and uh-huh. my great aunts and you know. Various people who you know, Lord. passed on records here. This ridiculous LPs, lots of LPs. And then we had the improviser for 30 years, so people would send us cassettes and uh, CDs, review, and we would be going on tour, you know, in our jalopy, like driving to Chicago or something, and we'd have it like playing in the car, and one of us would be driving, and one of us would be listening and writing, you know, these reviews and stuff. Uh-huh. So I, I listened out, you know, and on some some days. Well, there's just so yeah. much music. Like it's it's hard to it's hard. It sometimes it feels like an ocean, you know. It's just there's well, so it's much data. music out you there. Know, it's got to the point there is so much music, and we're aware of it because of our our ability to capture data now and to spread it everywhere. So. Life uh-huh. is still, you know, very finite and short. What the interesting part is, is we we are a drop in the bucket. We're a drop in the ocean. We will never know what else is there. You know, we just see our little reality. We might as well be an ant crawling on the ground, you know, uh, because everything is has an infinite flow, you know, and uh, we just a little bit of it, just a little grain of sand of it really you know so it's nothing's that important you know i mean we magnify things to importance but nothing is that important so i don't know that's a hard truth to wrap one's heart around it's very freeing you know because then you go okay i've got all this crap in my house that's supposed to be for an archive but who gives a damn you know and it really it's not gonna make a difference (laughs) You know, so it's freeing. It's like, okay, right. you have permission to actually be lazy. You have permission to just let it all go. And then I think that may be a lesson of life in the very end. You know, when you're facing your death, you got to let it go. 
So that's that's something to actually consider and enjoy the that aspect of it in your actual living, breathing life. But uh, are we willing to do that? Thank no, that. we're not that's willing to do I that. To learn. We think we have to do all this work. You know. <laughs> why not? Why can't we do that? Why? 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 Why do we feel compelled to to? I think it's maybe it's this this like uh, this need to feel like you're gonna live forever or something, you know, some some like compulsion to attach to the eternal or something. Oh goodness gracious! You have to be careful, or you know, so not to become you know some kind of uh, religious you know slave, you know, in terms of eternity. Sure, and, you know what's what's what we don't know what's what we absolutely well we don't even know well we we have all this these these objects and things that we're in a playpen we're in a total playpen (laughs) so we might as well play and that's why i think what's really really bring to you know modern 20th century 21st century life it's okay if we're in a playpen let's play let's just play you know yeah we may have to work we might have things you know some people have kids you know they have to deal with we i have dogs you know but um Uh that's play that's play it's playful playful life and seeing things in alternate realities and being creative you know in terms of you know you're not necessarily in, in conformity you know with the mainstream is uh, it's a wonderful way to play one's life well thank you very much i think i think that that seems like a good place to wrap yeah, up especially i'm being deemed over here for like, repeatedly <laughs> So uh, let me just end by 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 thanking you again um, for for coming on the show. We we haven't ever done an interview before, so this will Woo-hoo. be a first. <laughs> All right. Well, there's a first for uh, everything, whether we solo or whether we uh, we fly together. You know, so we shall continue it. I hope in the future. Thank you for having me. <laughs>